the National Archives podcast series, The Life of Philip Doverne, RN, Officer, Prisoner and Prince, presented by Keith Mitchell. Philip Deverne experienced highs and lows during his life from Arctic expeditions to royal associations and included wars with France and America. This story of his life is based on a book, The Tragedy of Philip Deverne, that's available in the National Archives Library. Although there are at least two other books available on the life of Deverne, including From the Gun Room to the Throne Room and Le Dernier Duc de Bouillon. Both of those are available as e-books online. So Philip de Verne's family are reported as arriving in the Channel Islands during the 13th century from the Bouillon province of what is now Luxembourg. In the 14th century, Thibault de Verne obtained a grant of land in Jersey and the family remained there until the 18th century. Philip de Verne was born on Jersey and christened the 13th of November 1754. His mother Elizabeth, the daughter of Philip Legette of Jersey, died giving birth to Philip, leaving his father Charles to raise Philip alone. Charles was an aide-de-camp to various governors, an ex-army officer and an advisor to the cabinet councils. His uncle James was also in the army, a major in the lifeguards. Philip also had a younger brother, Corbett, who joined the Royal Navy as well. Philip was brought up on Jersey, well-educated and fluent in English and French, having been schooled on Jersey and then in England and France. He is reported as having a mathematical mind, apparently inherited from his mother, and a love of the sea from spending his youth sailing around the coast of Jersey. The Navy kept a squadron guarding the Channel Islands, and during 1756 his father met and befriended a Captain Howe commanding the squadron. This captain was to become Lord Howe, Vice Admiral of England and the First Lord of the Admiralty. Possibly with this friend in the Navy and a love for the sea, Philip joined the Royal Navy rather than follow his father's footsteps in the Army. Philip, though, was too old to follow the usual career path, Most boys would have learnt their trade on a front-line man-of-war. So Philip learnt the basics on the Royal Yacht Mary under Captain John Campbell during 1770. He was gazetted at the age of 15 as an ensign and after finishing his training on the Royal Yacht, enlisted as a midshipman on board HMS Flora. His voyages took him to Russia and during one visit, Philip was introduced to the Empress Catherine by Lord Cathcart, the ambassador. The Empress was so taken with the young Philip, she invited him to stay but the young sailor declined, stating his love of the Navy and the sea. On a return visit, the Flora stopped off at Copenhagen, and here he met a scientific team on board a French frigate. With his fluent French, the scientists started an interest in scientific instruments for Philip, so much so that when he signed off the Flora, he spent the following year studying mathematics and trying to resolve the problem of timekeeping and barometric pressure at sea. Philip eventually published a book in 1789 called An Account of the New Improved Sea Compasses. So in 1773, with a relative peace and no fighting to occupy the Navy, the Admiralty commissioned a scientific expedition intended to make observations and promote knowledge. Two sloops were refitted for the expedition to the Arctic, and on the 4th of June, the racehorse and the carcass set sail for the North Pole. Although all those on board were volunteers... 21 had deserted during the eight weeks the two ships were moored at Deptford, leaving 72 crew on board the racehorse. The masterbook and paybooks from HMS Racehorse in ADM 36-7490 list Deverne as a midshipman. Captain Howell probably helped secure his place on board, helping to further both his knowledge and experience as a midshipman. On board the second ship, HMS Carcass was a 15-year-old midshipman named Horatio Nelson. 
Another notable on the voyage was William Wyndham, his future Foreign Secretary and Prime Minister, although he did suffer from severe seasickness and was taken off the voyage after a few days. The voyage was arduous and the ships became icebound for a couple of weeks. Reports of Nelson going out alone to hunt a polar bear for a fur coat come from this voyage. And although the expedition failed to reach the North Pole or discover a northeast passage, the expedition was seen as a success due to the scientific experiments conducted. And they were closer, approximately 25 miles closer than any previous expedition. This was just north of the island of Svalbard, east of Greenland. Deverne showed his artistic nature by sketching pictures of the voyage. During his return to England, Philip spent the following year furthering his mathematics and preparing sketches for the journal Voyage Towards the North Pole by Baron Constantine John Phipps. Details of the expedition can also be found in various books, including Northward Ho by Sir Albert Hastings Markham. And records of the expedition will be found throughout the ADM series, including outletters in ADM 354, logbooks in ADM 51, and muster of paybooks in ADM 33. Also, records relating to other expeditions to the Northwest Passage can be found in the papers of the Board of Longitude in record series RGO 14. Whilst Verne was coming back from the Arctic, the 13 colonies of America wanted independence, and Boston Harbour was the start of the war. So on the 5th of December 1774, HMS Asia arrives in Boston. The muster roll in ADM 34-4 records Philip again as a midshipman, but discharging to HMS Kingfisher on the 27th of August 1775. Philip, whilst a midshipman, was ordered to take charge of one of the boats carrying soldiers to attack Lexington. But Paul Reverie had already warned the Yankees of the attack, resulting in the British force of 800 being reduced by 73 dead and 185 injured by the harrying tactics of the American militia. All this... The Naval Chronicle reports Deverne as acting lieutenant, after which he reports to HMS Preston, just prior to the Battle of Bunker Hill. Again, our story has him commanding a boat of soldiers and watching as the Battle of Bunker Hill on the 17th of June, 1775, was supposedly won by British forces, although nearly half the 2,200 men were killed or injured. There are plenty of records within the National Archives on the attacks, but names of individuals are unlikely. A report of the fight at Bunker Hill can be found in CO 592, and there are a few scraps or cuttings from newspapers issued after the battle in HCA 32. So after serving on one of the four ships that burnt Falmouth to the ground, Philip then returned to HMS Kingfisher. Kingfisher was then involved in the bombardment and burning of Norfolk from the 1st of January 1776. Six months after the bombardment, British authority in Virginia ended when the governor, Lord Dunmore, left. Deverne continued ferrying troops around the islands of New York, and after wintering in Rhode Island on board HMS Chatham, and successfully assisting the Admiral, de Verne was commissioned as a lieutenant on the 2nd of June, 1777. CO5-127 has a list of ships and commanders, and lists Philip as commanding the galley alarm. Other records include CO594, which reports Philip as capturing the Delaware with a company of grenadiers on the 25th of October, 1777, and CO596, on the 27th of May, landed a party of marines at Foglam Ferry, successfully destroying the guardhouse. The rest of Europe was also keeping an eye on what was going on in America, and the French, followed by the Spanish, formed an alliance with the United States. And with this new treaty, French frigates entered Rhode Island. Deverne carried out his written orders, and CO 596 reports the Kingfisher and another galley being scuttled. Deverne is reported as being court-martialed on the Royal Oak on the 28th of September 1778. 
but there is no record within ADM1 relating to the reported date or place. After the sinking of the Kingfisher, Deverne returned to England and by November 1778 was first lieutenant on the Arethusa, a 700-tonne frigate captured from the French. England was back at war with France and Deverne was again amidst the fighting. During March 1779, the Arethusa fought the French vessel Agre for two hours off Ushant, but during the engagement, a larger French line of battleship was spotted and the Arethusa broke off. In the dim light, she struck a rock off the coast of Malines and of the 200 crew, 13 escaped, apparently never to be seen again, and the remainder were taken prisoner, interned in Carhaix in Brittany. Philippe de Verne was not in prison for long and secured a release on parole. With this break from naval duties, he accepted the invitation to a small self-contained principality in what is now Luxembourg. This was the Duchy of Bouillon. It was the Duke who secured the parole, looking to find an heir. The Duke's only surviving son, Jacques Leopold, was seriously disabled and unable to father an heir to the throne. So the Duke's idea was to adopt, and although he was unsure if French law would endorse such an act, he set about finding an heir. The obvious choice being a Breton soldier, Theophile Malo Carey, who was an illegitimate half-brother to Henri de la Tour de Verne, who was the Marshal of France. Theophile was from Carhaix, and mentioned the other Verne being held prisoner. The Duke thus secured Philip's parole and invited him to stay. Philip was immensely impressed by the Duke and the Principality, and Philip's fluent French and his adventures so far made him the perfect choice for the Duke. All the Duke required was a genealogist to link the Jersey or Verne's with the Principality. And with his parole, Philip was back in England by June 1780. He was exchanged for French POWs, far quicker and earlier than most other prisoners of war. And on his return in June 1780, the Naval Chronicle reports Philip as appointed lieutenant on HMS Lark. ADM 106-1255 contains a letter requesting surgeon supplies from Lieutenant de Verne although be aware our catalogue lists him as D or Verne, not de Verne. March 1781, and the Lark sailed as part of an invasion fleet against the Cape of Good Hope under the command of Commodore Johnston. They were sent to punish the Dutch for their reliance with the French, and during the voyage, the Lark captured five Dutch East Indiamen. The capturing of a prize ship could result in a great wealth for all on board, and records of prize courts are in the record series HCA. Whilst resupplying fresh water at Port Praia, they were surprised by a French fleet sent to aid the Dutch. In the ensuing engagement, two British ships were damaged. Johnston chose to remain and repair them, meaning the French reached the Cape first. The British invasion was impossible. Johnston had failed in his orders. De Verne was ordered to return the bad news about the Cape to London and was made master and commander of the Lark. This would probably have ended his career. Bad news was not taken well in London, and an officer couldn't blame his admiral. But help was on hand. The captain of the Rattlesnake wanted to return to England, and so they exchanged commands. A decision was not made about the Dutch East Indiamen until 1886. The ships were classed as transports, not men of war, and this meant bounty was not awarded as prize money, but was awarded to the king. Now, to trace de Verne's career involved searching through a number of sources, such as the Naval Chronicle, private papers and Admiralty papers. This file, which is from PC 112, from the Privy Council and Privy Council Office miscellaneous unbound papers, is the commission appointing Philip de Verne as commander of the Rattlesnake, 19th of November, 1781. A 
record of his service dated 1781 is also in ADM 622. Captain's letters from Johnston to the Admiralty are in ADM 154 and Averne's include ADM 117.15. Admiral Johnston had not landed troops on the Cape but allowed French troops to land, so Johnston decided to try and distract London from his failures and add a new colony to the King's Dominions. He decided the latest addition would be the islands of Trindad and Martin Vaz. These islands are volcanic rock. They're about 1,000 or so miles off the South American coast and were discovered in 1502 by Portuguese navigators and became part of the Portuguese Empire. Many visitors have been to the islands. The most famous was probably the English astronomer Edmund Halley. He placed the Union Jack and took possession of the island on behalf of the British monarchy in 1699. Haley recorded the island as seven miles long, very narrow, with nothing but turtle doves and land crabs. Deverne, now commanding HMS Rattlesnake, a 198-ton, 12-gun, cutter-rigged sloop, set sail with HMS Jupiter for the new colony. The orders were to survey the islands to ascertain whether it would make a useful base for outward-bound Indiamen. Along the way, they captured a French ship. The captured prize was sent to Jamaica, and apparently the French captives, including a woman, remained on board. But the island was inhospitable and landing was treacherous, and on the evening of the 12th of October 1782, the wind increased. By 7 o'clock, the rattlesnake was dragging. Two hours later, the first cable parted and Commander de Verne club-hauled his way out, setting main and foresails and using the remaining anchors as a spring. This successfully put rattlesnake's head to seaward, the remaining cable was then cut, and the sloop wore round and stood out to sea. However, the ground now shallowed quite rapidly and the rattlesnake struck a submerged rock. She started filling with water, so in order to preserve the lives of the crew, they ran her ashore. All lives were saved except two deserters. Five others were picked up by the Jupiter. Deverne and the sailors, including the French captives, were marooned on an island, nowhere near a shipping route, with just turtle doves and land crabs for company. They remained on the island until the 28th of December 1782 when the 50-gun line battleship HMS Bristol, blown off course, rescued the remaining 28 men and one woman and landed them at Madras. Now this shows the difference between fact and memoirs. The book reports them as being shipwrecked for 15 months until December 1782 but de Verne didn't receive his commission until November 1781, 11 months prior and also a separate narration of the shipwrecking by someone on board states they were only stranded for three months. The logbooks for HMS Bristol in ADM 51137 confirms them taking on board 30 peoples and baggage in December 1782. The Bristol stayed three days on Trinidad from the sinking of the ship on the 12th of October 1782 to being rescued on the 28th of December means they were only stranded for a little over three months. Also, the book refers to 30 crew plus the French being rescued, but the logbook quite clearly states there were only 30. So, having lost another ship, de Verne was court-martialed again, this time in Madras, and again he was reprieved, although, again, there is nothing in ADM 1 to actually back that up. There are, though, a couple of stories from his time in India. One was he was befriended by Muhammad Ali Khan Wallahaja, the Nawab of Arcot, who had financial difficulties resulting from his support of the British against the French in India. This caused him to lose a large majority of his state to the East India Company. He used de Verne to place his wrongdoings before the king upon de Verne's return to England. 
So, on his return to England in January 1784, he is reported as presenting the Nawab's petition to the king, and the Indian state was returned to the Mohammed. The Jersey archives do hold a copy of the Nawab's petition. A further report also has Philip Marion during this time in India. Although there are no records for this period at the British Library, just the Philip de Verne, Marion and Anne Lowry in 1800. Although this Philip was a captain in the army, not in the navy. Philip by this time already had three illegitimate children in Jersey. One who went on to join the navy but was killed in 1815. De Verne on his return to England was also made a post-captain as well. Peace with France meant demobilisation of naval officers. So between 1784 and 1787, de spent time travelling and even escorted the son of Lord Sidney on a grand tour. Back with the Duke de Bouillon, the Duke had now found a way to connect the families, using the reported arrival of the de family in the Channel Islands during the 13th century. A very dubious connection, to say the least. And in 1787, the adoption was agreed by the King Notices were published in the London Gazette. He was now known as Prince de Bouillon, and with this, de Verne hoped to succeed as Count de Evray. This resulted in the French offering him naturalisation, as there is no way an English naval officer could become one of the French noblesse. The son of Lord Sidney, who de Verne was escorting on the Grand Tour, reportedly wrote his distaste at the thought of an English naval officer becoming a French citizen. De Verne, though, is reported as writing he would never betray his sovereign. During this time, Philip also obtained an honorary degree and elected Fellow of the Royal Society, and by 1787 he was appointed a revenue officer in Jersey, commanding the Narcissus. All of this was set aside again, as war with France was on the horizon. So De Verne, up to this period, spent his time not in the Navy, but assisting Channel Island merchants in securing convoys for their shipping. Reference to this is in the correspondence within FO95. But by 1794, after a petition from the Defence Committee of the Islands and a letter from de Verne to the Admiralty, he was appointed as commander of HMS Nonsuch. The muster for that is in ADM 35, 1194. Other ships formed his flotilla, the Repulse, Lion, Scorpion, Tiger and Eagle, although Philip's favourite ship seems to have been the Daphne, Royalist and Aristocrat. The crew, though, were mainly from Jersey, as there was little opportunity for English crews to acquire prize money whilst touring round Jersey. The ships were not men of war, but converted gunboats. Most of these were not even reportedly seaworthy. During this time, 1793, the governor of Jersey, 6th Earl of Belcaray, Alexander Lindsay, had open communications between England and France, especially the Royalists, and Philip de Verne was asked to assume this role in September 1794 which he accepted. A manuscript memorial to the War Office, held by the Library in Jersey, shows his duties as Commander Division of Armed Vessels to cover the islands, open communications with the continent to obtain information on hostile enemy movements, maintain communications with the insurgents in western provinces, and to distribute secures to the lay French emigrants of the islands. So with the command of the small naval force came further problems. His cousin, Lieutenant Governor Philip Full, resented de Verne's receiving orders directly from the War Office. And after numerous complaints from both French émigrés and de Verne, Full became little more than a warden of the islands. The communication with the French royalists was maintained by a network of spies and insurgents while smuggling arms, ammunition and supplies across the short stretch to the French mainland. 
But the majority of Deverne's time was taken up caring for the French royalists who had flocked to Jersey. Most tried living their lives as though they still had their aristocracy, wanted lavish parties and not becoming part of the Jersey community. Correspondence between the émigrés, London and Auvergne, can be found throughout Treasury, FO95, WO1, HO69 and PC1. Most of these records are searchable by names, but some descriptions are included. Payments were made to the émigrés in Jersey between 1798 and 1799 to support émigrés and their families. These records in FO95 include children's names and ages and numbers of servants, although the servants aren't named. These records are mostly administrative and include lists of payments to the émigrés. Relations between the Catholic and Royalist army and the Chouan chiefs and reports on the situation in France. Further records of the payments made to French émigrés can be found in Treasury records. These records from T64354 include the payments made monthly to émigrés and also the cost of educating their children, as there was no school or education in Jersey for the émigrés originally. But back to France, by the late 1794, the Chouans with the Royalist and Catholic armies were in agreement to overthrow the Republicans and restore the monarchy. An army of 5,000, mostly émigrés, left Jersey for France to support the Royalists. General Joseph Pusey, having the backing of the English, led the invasion force. The date was set the 21st of July 1795, and they were to land at Quiberon, which is just north of the Bay of Biscay. But even before the landing, factions within the French started to work against each other. The Royalist and Catholic armies in France were split between Louis XVIII from the Alps to the Pyrenees and the Comte d'Artois in the western region, including Brittany and Normandy. Both sides were united in cause, although not always in agreement. Comte d'Artois of the House of Bourbon later became Charles X of France. Those working for Louis XVIII successfully discredited General Pusey in London enough to have their deputy in place, Louis Charles de Herverley. Several of the émigrés had called for the landing at Vendée, not Quiberon, and even Comte d'Artois was not aware of the date of the landing, and he was Pusey's commanding officer. So, with all of this, the expedition landed on Quiberon headland, but was soon entangled in battle on two fronts, one being politics. The invasion was successful, to start with. They managed to disembark without any trouble, linked with the Chouans and had control of the coastal area. But Louis Charles de Herverley produced a letter to take command of the force of approximately 3,500 now. De Herverley's plan was to hold the spit of land as he felt the Chouans were undisciplined. Pusey wanted to advance and support the Royalist forces in Western France. And by the time that de Herverley gave in to Pusey's command, they'd lost the element of surprise and the Republicans were able to counterattack. By the 21st of July, with the Royalist forces in disarray, 2,500 Chouans had escaped by boat and 6,500 were taken captive, including women and children, although the families were freed. FO 95605 contains an intercepted report dated 27th of July. All the men from Quiberon, approximately 750, were executed at Auray. These were mainly nobles of Louis XVIII. A chapel now stands on that site. The basis of the defeat was down to the divisions within the Royalist forces. They used Republican prisoners, who promptly deserted, Chouans dressed in British red uniforms, which they resented, and the difference between the Royalist households. All this and fighting against the well-organised Republican army. This letter 
from HO 6922 is from General Pusey reporting on the situation in Quiberon. The correspondence includes testimonials and interviews regarding the charging of General Pusey with desertion. William Wyndham, though, was not generally in favour of supporting the Royalists and the result of this disaster was for the British government to give less material support, especially as the cost so far had exceeded a million pounds. Deverne writes on a number of occasions to Wyndham asking for the financial support he was receiving prior to the invasion. Deverne, though, continued his role and his small naval fleet captured a number of French brigs and merchantmen, but also lost a couple of their own, including the Havoc and the Pelican. Correspondence on these wrecks can be found within FO95. De Verneau had been landing French émigrés or spies on French beaches since 1794. This was known as La Correspondence. Those making the journey across the water included Prigent, Dufour and the aforementioned Bertin. These and a few others regularly travelled between Jersey and France, delivering intelligence and supplies. During April 1795, 100 gentlemen were reported as embarked under the orders of Monsieur de la Vieuville, and 33 during December 1795. Reports and letters within FO95 show that ammunition, weapons and louis, fake French coin, were landed in France for the Royalist and Catholic forces. From 1801 to 1802, Philip was busy. The possibility of a peace with France resulted in Philip losing command of Jersey. His role was a wartime role. With peace came a captain's half pay. Philip now spent his time in his house and gardens on Jersey, even in opening gardens to the public. His library contained 4,000 volumes, from scientific to classic to French history, and his promotions raised him to vice-admiral of the Red. In Bouillon, the French had annexed the duchy, and Duke Godfrey III had died in 1894. His son, Jacques Leopold Latour de Verne, attained the title of Duke. Now, Philip would be Duke if Jacques Leopold died without heirs. And Jacques Leopold died on the 3rd of March, 1802. Philip used the full title and dignity of Duke after this date, but still he was unable to take his place in Bouillon. With the Peace of Armines on the 25th of March, 1802, Philip headed to Paris to fight a claim by another apparent heir. But on his arrival, French police, knowing his actions in Jersey, dragged him from his hotel without any charge or any explanation and threw him into jail. FO 2764 contains correspondence from Mr. Murray, the ambassador in Paris, complaining of the French authorities' actions. And this extract from the parliamentary papers goes on to say no further action will be taken as they do not wish to upset the latest peace. Philip was held for five days and when released he was given 24 hours to leave France, a near impossibility at that time. Once released, de Verne returned to Jersey, and with the outbreak of further war with France, de Verne returned to his role. The émigrés had been now been given a way to go home. Napoleon had taken control of France and granted the émigrés amnesty in 1802. Many signed the declaration offered and returned, so Philip's time was mostly taken up with transporting the émigrés who were travelling from England through Jersey back to France. The émigrés themselves were now split with the two main sides being the House of Bourbon and the House of Orléans. Both houses held different ideas for the future monarchy in France. In France, finding reliable spies was difficult. The Chouans were not supporting the Royalists, more likely handing them over to the Republicans than actually giving them any assistance. These and Bonaparte's secret police meant the French were capturing most of the spies employed by de Verne. Philip continued to receive correspondence from a new network of spies, although this was smaller, 
but he still received information, including the build-up of forces at Brest, possibly to invade either England or support Ireland. One of the spies was Noel Pridgen. Experienced in landing in France, he had journeyed across the sea over 150 times. In 1807, Deverne was informed of the Chorns wanting to rise and rebel again. So Pridgen and companions were sent to France to gain intelligence. On their arrival, they found no signs of a possible uprising, or even anyone willing to assist them. All the usual safe houses were closed to them. Pridgen and his companions spent a number of weeks travelling round Brittany and living in ditches. But after a number of failed attempts to return to Jersey, one of the companions, Bouchard, gave himself up to the French. He then led the secret police to Pridgen and his companions. As soon as Pridgen was captured, he gave up every detail he knew about the correspondence, including landing places, codes and safe houses used by Deverne's spies. Bouchard then agreed to return to Jersey and persuade Deverne that he was sent by Pridgen. Deverne welcomed him and sent Bouchard back to France with letters to General Pusey and further correspondence to Pridgen. Bouchard had also asked that Comte Vaucolais be dispatched to France and shortly afterwards he left for the French coast but he was arrested as soon as he landed. The Amman de Chateaubriand followed in September 1808 but it was apparent that everyone was behind Napoleon. No one would support Chateaubriand and after a couple of failed attempts to return to Jersey he himself was arrested and along with ten other emigres was shot. The efforts though of Bouchard and Pridgent to save their own lives also failed as they were shot the following day on direct orders of Bonaparte. Back in Jersey, this is an extract from the log of HMS 7, ADM 5591. Shows a 21-gun salute for His Majesty's birthday, which may actually give you the date of birth for Philip de Verne. By now, Philip's was feeling a bit lonely. Most of his friends and emigres sent to France were captured or killed. The French were content with Napoleon's reign. And even this letter in WO1922 shows even the Comte d'Artois was indicating he should have sole control of the correspondence. Records from Napoleon continually refer to the brigands, lies and plots that keep coming from Jersey. And with the now stable France, Napoleon's secret police, de Verne showed very little from his correspondence. Any hope of a new royalist revolution was never going to materialise. And de Verne stood down from his role in 1812, possibly due to ill health, possibly aware of the next period of peace. After the defeat of Napoleon's forces, Comte d'Artois of the House of Bourbon was proclaimed King Louis XVIII, and de Verne could once again look longingly towards the Duchy of Bouillon. Now on the throne, the new king happily gave the Duchy to Philip for all the support he had given to the emigres and the royalists over the last 20 years. But nothing is ever straightforward. The Treaty of Paris left the Congress to rewrite a map of Europe, and the decision was made to form a buffer zone, the Kingdom of Netherlands, along the border of France. This meant no place for an independent principality. Further complications came in the form of another claimant to the throne, Prince Charles de Rohan, a grandson of a stepsister of the old Duke. Though things looked good, de Verne had the backing of Lord Castlereagh, and the Congress had respected a similar case. But an old foe had re-entered Paris, Napoleon. So whilst all of Europe was watching Waterloo, the Congress decided the King of Netherlands should rule on the case and left the rule into the arbitrators and the King. Philip de Verne marched to war with a small regiment formed in the colours of Bouillon. 
and whilst the way Congress decided to uphold the claim by the Rohan, as he was the blood relation. Philip de Verne returned to London bankrupt, owing 12,000 in Jersey alone. He died on the 18th of September 1816 in a hotel in Westminster. An inventory of his house and library are held by the Jersey archives from the auction of his estate. The Dukedom of Bouillon remained in upheaval until 1825, when it was divided between Duke de Bourbon, Prince of Tremoyle and Princess of Poi. Most of the titles held by de Verne died with him, including Monsignor, His Serene Highness, Philip de Verne, by the grace of God and the will of his people, Duke de Bouillon. Thank you very much. This podcast was recorded live on the 26th of July 2012 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.